and welcome to the Zero Stars Podcast, a podcast about video games and reader mail. My name is Bob. And my name is Matt. And we're going to talk about video games. All right, so we got reader mail for the first time this week, which is extremely exciting for well, us. First time since our very first week when we got that one piece from John Bannon. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, and, and you know, no, not a lot of people know that. That's a deep cut from the vault because this is episode 10, the 10th anniversary uh, of our annual podcast, Zero Stars. So um, we're going to start out today, though, with a lengthy news hour i actually don't know how long this news hour is going to be it might be really fast it depends um the conceit of this is going to be very simple bob has had a very busy week i have i don't really know what he's been doing but he hasn't been paying attention to the headlines on our very favorite video game site kotaku.com so that is accurate i have um in my extraneous amount of free time Grabbed a random sampling of headlines from the past week, and I'm going to read them to Bob. Great. And Bob is going to react. I love this. All right, Bob, are you ready? It plays into my narcissism. I feel really good. This is it. Let's do it. Number one, from Monday. Overwatch's next map is Junkrat and Roadhog's old home. I hate it. I find them both physically disgusting, and I don't like being around them. I have the exact same reaction. I don't want to know where they live. I don't want to know where they used to live. I assume it's a junkyard. It makes it makes me feel physically ill just it, reading that headline aloud. Like I assume that somebody has to junk all the trucks from Mad Max, and I guess that's where they go. Right. So I, I don't feel like I need to see that, and I feel pretty good with the future cities and like Japanese temple areas. So yeah. stick with those, Overwatch. We don't need this. Agreed. All right. Also from Monday, Shenmue 3's trailer is real bad. I love it. It is so terrible. Okay, so I, how what, is it that what a is Dreamcast ta- game looks better than this? Did you actually see the follow up on this? I watched the entire trailer. I saw the follow up from um, I think it was Heather Alexandra who wrote the follow up. Yeah, about how she she thought that the trailer was absolutely fine. Um, she wrote, wait, what? She she was a fan of the trailer. That is a very contrarian position well I, I think that like and i sort of i hear what she's saying because a lot of the environments are really beautiful it is just that the main character has no facial animations at, zero at all none of them zero. have any no no some of the other characters do the young woman does okay his um his i mean it's just it's sort of comical i'm sort of like on board with it i don't think it needed to be pointed out that this was a bad trailer i think they should have just like dropped it and been like something's missing from shenmue <laughs> and it's like yeah any elasticity in the face i mean it's just it's amazing to me that it's amazing to me that people are excited for a new shenmue game like number one come on have you played any of the shenmue games i played some of the first shenmue game i've never played a single one Guess i've always what? like just they're not them. good dude i thought you drove a forklift or something that seemed like uh fun. so there's there's a lot it's like a mini there's game. i mean everybody likes to talk about the sailors you're always looking for sailors um i've played that game before And uh, there's, there's, you can play, I think, Space Harrier in that game in an arcade. Oh, really? So the best part about Shenmue is that you can play a different game what if, while you play Shenmue. <laughs> what if they give you Tempest in this new one? If, if I was able to play Tempest, and I'm not even the biggest Tempest fan, um, I'm no Jeff Minter, but uh, if I could play Tempest in that game, it would be at least a zero stars. <laughs> <laughs> Still not Halo. Yeah. What is? All right, moving on to Tuesday. Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition announced. I saw that. Did you see this fucking thing? I, I, 
So what? This it's runs the, on phones. It's it runs on iOS. It's the entire game. That sounds They're great. They're porting the entire game with audio. I mean, it's like great, but I kind of just like don't understand. Like, I mean, they're milking it. They make one Final Fantasy title, and that they, they always produce everything that they can. It's just sort of. It's sort of. I'm fascinated by it. I thought it was a joke at first. That seems like a really smart move to me because, so they could put it on the Switch, and then that has a very limited install base, or, you know, they've been releasing. Uh, the old Final Fantasy games, they kind of remake them for iOS pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, and and they, so they're they just kind of closing the loop on that. They're poorly remade more often than Yeah, not. they always make them look weird. But it totally makes sense to me that you'd say, what is iOS or Android for that matter? But people don't pay for things on Android generally. So if you want to sell things, people yeah. go to iOS. Um, what is iOS? It's like the console with the biggest install base in the world. Yeah. And so it totally makes sense to me that if you're Square, you just sank four billion dollars or whatever into, into, into new 15 final years fantasy. of development for yeah. a video game. You have to recoup that and it oh, totally, totally makes sense. And, and so much it. of it is what's okay, so what's strange about it to me is that when I think about Final Fantasy, I think about turn based combat. And mm. that to me plays very well on a mobile device. Yeah, where what you're does not able to turn it off momentarily. Well Moreover, that you're able to control it with your thumbs on a screen that is very poorly adapted for like joystick controls. Yeah. And so this one is more action based. I think that playing it will probably kind of suck. I've got the feeling that they're, I, I can't even remember. I watched the video, but I was sort of just like in in shock, I guess. But like, I, so I have it no memory so- <laughs> of watching this video. But, um, it says so much about us that that's what puts you into shock. I, I it seemed like it was more tapping based than I don't remember there being any kind of a joystick involved. Um, the thing that's interesting to me is first of all, I am just curious. Like, is this a one to one remake that's just like done chibi style, like isometric view? Uh, is that is that what it looks like? That's what it looks like. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm not saying that there's I, yeah you. I'm not being contrary and saying like this should never be made. I think it's really interesting. I'll never buy it because I'm kind of done with that but like is it just like a one-to-one remake and if that's the case like why did anybody make final fantasy 15 to begin with because like as a game not super impressive as a story i disagree with that i mean and, and you played it that's like the weird strange part about this is because now i'm going to defend something that you played uh but having seen it i think it's very impressive and there's so many layered systems that it speaks to a deep insanity what are the layered systems well there's just so much going on like there's just so many things things in it whether or not they are good or bad there or, are a lot of visual objects that you can't interact with yes. whatsoever that game reminds me of the guns and roses album chinese democracy which had a similarly long gestation and which when you listen to it you realize there are seven people playing guitar on this single song are they contributing to the song in the sense that like the commonly accepted word for when people play music together is song yes yeah. <laughs> and so that is a game because we agree that when people make things like it, it is a game, but it's really just like this insane collection of things that they churned out over a several year long period. Yeah. So they are in essence to continue your, your metaphor, they are Perfect. removing six of those seven guitars because it's not going to look the same. Not that I mean, it looks awesome still in many yeah. ways. I think it looks better stylized. The way I it believe is, that. rather than that photorealism, but will the melody stand up? Unlikely. Yeah, that's and that's and that's a really good question. And so I'm I'm very curious about this because I think it looks cool. I they've <laughs> they made the stunning the stunning decision to 
like maintain Cin- the character of Cindy's cleavage <laughs> and like the ass shots. I uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, they know what you're there square. for, dude. Yeah. Like, that's the okay. We think about like who is the Final Fantasy fan base, and they are people who are having a Final Fantasy about the buxom lasses of Final Fantasy. I always, I always thought that it was like like people who are in their late twenties and early thirties who had a PlayStation at the right time and are just like getting older, but maybe not. Guess not. Guess not. Anyway, it would be fun to relive that abortion of a story. Jesus Christ. Um, in a pocket, in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They should just call it like, it's called pocket edition. It's called pocket edition. I think that's a great name for it because it makes me think of the game boy pocket, a console that's that I true. think is really cool. That's true. That's actually my short take on it. Keep going. All right. Also from Tuesday, SNES Classic pre-orders go up in the middle of the night. Sell out immediately. This is a bummer because I don't have an NES, a SNES Classic rather, coming uh, anytime soon. And uh, But this is exactly what I expected. Why am I surprised? That makes two of us, brother. All right. Moving on from that. Um, also on Tuesday, and I really should have just put this one after the next one. Um, or after the last one. I'm confusing things. Uh, Square Enix teases Final Fantasy 15 on Switch. Uh, of course. You will buy it. First of all, do you think the Switch can handle that? Um, if they're putting it on phones, the Switch can handle it. But they're no, they're putting a different version on phones. They're putting the PlayStation 4 version. So I would imagine that... an Xbox One. My PlayStation 4 has never been louder than <laughs> when it was running Final Fantasy 15. I, I believe that. I think that it's the sort of thing where, you know, there are... When, when people talk about graphics settings, right, for the PC, it's just that you're saying, oh, I'm going to use lower res textures or whatever. Those well, options are... definitely be dropping. The, the Switch can't run the resolution. Right. Yeah. So they're just going to run it at a lower resolution with lower res textures, and it'll be fine. All right. All right. If I mean, they're think, putting Skyrim on do you think, it. Do you think they're going to fix everything else? Do you think they'll, like, make it, like, a patch up? Do you, think it'll, do you think that they'll make it an actual, like, you know, coherent story of a game? Do you think that they'll fix the combat? Will the combat finally feel good? I doubt all of those things. Oh, well, I think that it will still look kind of cool in a really dumb way. Yeah, I, I'm sure it will in a really dumb way. It's so dumb looking it's and so, kind of cool, so though. The, there's so many great parts. Are you into zippers, dude? Do you like zippers and I leather? Like, I like belts more. Mm, I don't like There are leather. some pretty good belts, though. I don't like leather, and you can't play that game as a vegetarian. Yeah, there's no option. You are, you are killing the animals it to is live. Not, it is not like breath of the wild yeah but what is did you know that in uh far cry 2 there was initially as part of like the plan for far cry 2 they were going to let you pet the animals that you are out on like the african plains with that makes sense uh far cry 2 it's okay all right hot take um again from tuesday the next naruto game lets players make their own damn ninjas (laughs) awesome I have I don't know what is Naruto. Have it, you been following the latest season of Naruto? No, oh, me neither. <laughs> uh, it's Pablo Naruto, the video game, <laughs> the anime and, of. But the there video are ninjas. Game. But there are ninjas. Yeah, those beautiful, beautiful, poetic Spanish language ninjas. All right. Also from Tuesday. This Tuesday was a big day. Most of these are from Tuesday. Seemingly six years later, Bethesda's Brink is suddenly free to play. Well, they made Brink free to play. On Steam. 
Brink is that totally makes sense. Um, Brink is a game by Splash Damage, um, the people who made Enemy Territory, and mm-hmm. I've actually always been very curious about it because it had uh, movement mechanics where you were able to sort of mantle things. Uh, it was sort of a parkour. Yeah, early it seems like it was, a very it, yeah. honestly what that game probably is is a bad version of Titanfall, and at the time it that was probably like a proto Titanfall. So it probably is like. If you remember the game uh, Kill Switch, which was like the first cover-based shooter ever, um, and that thing was on the PS2, and then the people at Epic were like, "Oh, this is a neat game, but we're gonna make Gears of War, and it will be a good version of that game." And I think that Brink, in many ways, is probably, "Oh, this is a neat thing, but I'm gonna go make Titanfall a good version of that." So that's awesome that you can play it for free. Uh, you should probably just spend the twenty dollars to get Titanfall. But you're not spending anything to play. Twenty dollars right. is basically nothing. Well, I'm sure that if it's on Steam, you're probably going to be able to buy hats and gun skins. I love hats. I love gun skins. Everybody loves making guns. I skins. love to skin the guns. <laughs> um, interesting fact: uh, in Far Cry Two, <laughs> you were able to skin the guns out on the African plains. Oh, okay. That was, was part of the original design document. It didn't make it into the game. The original. It was originally Far Cry Two: colon, Skin the guns, pet the animals. Gun skinner. <laughs> You've heard of running guns. <laughs> Skin them and make a billion dollars a year in Steam downloads. That sounds great. All right. Uh, last one from Tuesday. I'm ready. Xbox Live was down for over five hours. This is presumably on Monday. I am a person who owns an Xbox, and I was unaware of this, so I'm sure it was a big deal. When's the last time you opened your Xbox? Today. Oh, because oh, I play right. Dark Souls on it. I forgot that we we Souls sometimes. Yeah, I play Dark Souls on it, um, but not frequently. All right, fair enough. Actually, uh, I was playing Splatoon two the other day, and they took the servers down oh. for several hours. Right, I just played my first match. <laughs> And That's I was very feeling cruel. good. It was not. Yeah, it's not. Did they good. introduce that to you through the pop star like opening thing? I, was like, we have to take the servers down for a while. Stay fresh. <laughs> I hate them so. Much. Yeah, they suck. I hate them so much. Oh my god, they're so rough, and you um, have to sit through it every time you boot it. Did you follow any of the uh, the people the the sort of trans awareness and friendliness? stuff that was going on with Splatoon 2 people you know in Splatoon 2 when you're in the lobby you're able to view um these kind of like really basic pieces of art sometimes very complicated pieces of art that people have drawn on their on their switch pads yeah it's really cool it's very cool um and there was I guess like some backlash to some trans player or something or some trans players um and so there was a bunch of like supportive messages populating the lobby. That's really cool. Is it was just another reminder of like how great Nintendo can be with with like promoting small scale sort of like fun social environments. Yeah, like Nintendo is strangely inept at online things generally and very talented at the idea of allowing people to interact in a positive way. Uh we could make the argument, and this is you know this is a freebie for somebody at Kotaku who wants to write this. But uh, Mario Kart, the original social network, that's free. All right, you can use that. That's free to play. I'm using tilt controls. <laughs> All right, we're going to skip Wednesday because apparently nothing of interest happened on Wednesday. That's always We've the got case. Two left for Thursday. Dungeons and Dragons promises to make its adventures more queer. I saw this headline, um, and that that is actually a very interesting point, um, only because I feel like queer representation 
everywhere is lacking and especially in the world of fantasy things yeah uh, especially it, considering the number of i presume queer players oh i mean which just, i would which i would assume is relatively high for for a lot of fantasy and dungeons and dragons based sort of i would assume it's, it's exactly thing. the same amount that it exists everywhere which is always you know this is a marginalized group and they've been marginalized everywhere and in every every form of media should move towards a more inclusive model yeah so that's i'm awesome. i'm just surprised that it hasn't done this ahead of time it also kind of reminded me how much i want to play dungeons and dragons i love dungeons and dragons i haven't played it in years but i always enjoyed playing dungeons and I've dragons i've never played it it's so much fun um one question i want to ask you vampire the masquerade is that already more queer or was that just something that i assumed i don't know enough about it but i'm going to say yes I would say masquerades generally, and this is just a blanket statement, but masquerades are pretty queer. You heard it here first, folks. All right, moving on to... Now I just want to play Vampire the Masquerade. No, you want to play D&D. All right. Uh, We'll see about this. (laughs) Moving on to Friday. Former Valve writer posts possible Half-Life 2 Episode 3 plot summary. It happened. Uh, so we were talking about Valve just recently, and we now it actually that. happened, and we have a view into the development of Half-Life 3. What's weird about this is I have to imagine that there have been endless versions of Half-Life 3 behind the scenes that have happened and been canned um, over the years. It was pretty neat to see one of those options. I actually, uh, because I'm an insane person, own a coffee table book called Half-Life 2, Raising the Bar. Uh, which is that like a crowbar joke? Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. The yes, obviously. All right. Just uh, double checking, which is great. Uh, it's a really good coffee table book because it contains all of the concept art for the first two Half-Life games, and it is a kind of insider look at them making those games. It's really upsetting the way that you said the first two Half-Life games as though there was anything <laughs> after that, <laughs> as though there was hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's not. Uh, but what was interesting about that when I was reading it, and I remember very vividly. You know, I thought Half-Life 2 was pretty cool, but I remember being disappointed a little bit by the story elements of it. And then you read the what they thought the story was going to be in this book, and it's awesome. It's so much more intense and interesting, and you go to so many more places. And some of those places actually are reprised a little bit in the episodes and then also in the storyline that's this guy dropped. Um, Why did they end up dropping that from Half-Life 2? I have no idea. And that's not addressed in the book, which would be really good. It's not addressed in the book because it's a total puff piece about like how awesome Valve is. Yeah. Uh, But so this is neat, but I honestly don't think that this bears any resemblance to what we would have seen in Half-Life 3, given that. Well, this is Half-Life 2, Episode 3. This is not... This is not Half-Life 3, technically. Sure, but I, like... It would be the, the introduction to Even so, to I three. think you'd be surprised by how little the finished product would have resembled this, given the, what they say the original and, like, stated plot for Half-Life 2 was. Yeah. We won't run through the entire thing here, but uh, if you guys want to check it out, it's all over the internet at this point. Um, interestingly, it, it does, at the end, there's, like, Gordon Freeman is on a suicide mission. Gordon Freeman, the you know, to character. The, I almost said the titular character. He is the half-life. He is the free man. He's the free man. Uh, he's like on a suicide mission. And he's rescued at the last second by the Vorgans. And is that what they're called? Vortigaunts. 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 Uh, what, what I remember really kind of taking away from Half-Life 2 raising the bar is that 
it made me really appreciate Half-Life 1 and how Half-Life 2 is, I would say, half as imaginative as Half-Life 1 is. And there just feels like there's more enemies, more crazy shit happening in Half-Life 1 than Half-Life 2. Because I feel like Half-Life 2 is so based around the physics. It, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is this. When you look at Half-Life 1, what's really amazing about Half-Life 1 is that they injected this crazy story into a first-person shooter. It was totally linear. They never dropped you out to a level select. You just kind of kept moving through a story. You did a lot of different things, and there were a lot of different types of scenarios in it, which was really cool. But the focus on it and what it brought to the table was narrative. And what's weird about Half-Life 2 is that what it brings to the table is physics, which isn't narrative-based. And I think that the narrative actually suffers, uh, but many of the mechanical elements are improved. So it's sort of an interesting little... Well, I mean, there's more of a focus on character in Half-Life 2. Yeah. And granted, like... It's been about 10 years since I played either of them. But, um, I mean, I, th- I think that Half-Life 2 is such a production, and it had so much... There was such a, like, a level of fidelity in graphically, obviously, for the time, but also in sort of like the, the characters that it introduces. Um, I think Alex was a, was a fantastic character. Her father yes. is in Barney. Is it Barney? Barney is the cop. Remains fun. Yeah, um, Barney's always fun. I mean, Barney's I, from Half-Life 1. Yeah, yeah, he's a returning character. I, I, Half Life One. I think that you're. I actually had never thought about it before, but I think that you're right with regards to like the linearity of that game. The idea that there is no level select. I guess that that really hadn't been. No, and done and I remember that. even playing it. I I didn't come to it right when it came out, but I played yeah. it a little bit later, and I just even then playing it where it just keeps popping up those title screens as you just move between places it remained really impressive and it's one of those strange things that they always have a load right before they pop the title screen mm-hmm. and that game has gotten better with age because now the loads are non-existent because computers are so much faster um, so now it just you just walk into a room and it just pops the title screen and the game never loads because your computer is so much faster uh and it's kind of a, a cool thing that is totally accidental yeah no i think it's i mean i I was wondering whether or not to say this on the podcast, but I think Half-Life 1 might be one of the, you know, better games that's ever been made. <laughs> I think Half-Life 1 is one of the best games that's ever been made. Well, all right. Let's just jump the shark while we're at it. I'm ready to say it. All right. Well, that rounds up our news hour. Hope it didn't feel like an hour yes, of news. Because it was only 20 minutes. All right. Uh, but good. Uh, that's pretty. That's a pretty good news hour. I feel good about that one. It's a pretty decent news hour. Yeah, we filled some time. So, uh, Bob, let's jump into our favorite weekly segment. I'm going to hey, ask Matt. you. Oh, you're going to oh, ask me. I really wanted to ask you. You wanted to ask me? Are All you right. going to let me ask you? You can ask me. How's your souls? Hello, Dark Souls, my old friend. My souls. Well, I don't want to get... We're, we're not going to get into it stuff too much um this is our recurring segment where we talk about our continuing playthrough concurrent playthroughs of dark souls 3 continuing and concurrent yes it is both uh double c's i'm probably a little bit ahead of you i i assume you are yeah i I, did not have a lot of time to play this week i entered i know that we both entered the world of erithil uh the 
Irithyll, like above the Boreal Valley or whatever. Yes, exactly. Which I'm now just now realizing is a reference to the Aurora Borealis, which hangs over the Valley. The Boreal Valley. Yeah, I mean it's a it's by far the most gorgeous area in the game. So yeah, this is a so kingdom, kind of at night in snow, and there is the Northern Lights hanging over it, and it is gorgeous. And there's all these neat effects that kind of warp the light, mm-hmm. and it's just beautiful. Uh, is the closest the game has ever looked to Bloodborne and yes. in the best way. Yes. In is a way that I didn't, I would have said like, no, keep your Bloodborne out of my souls previously with the aesthetic, but I, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's awesome. And you have those guys like with the flaming weapons yep. and the, the, just that orange, the orange light in this overall blue icy setting. It's just, oh man, wonderful. What a wonderful world. What um, a wonderful game. So I have continued Soulsing and I'm enjoying it. I'm kind of like marching through again. I'm I'm not hitting any walls quite yet. Uh I like it. I wanted to talk about one thing in particular though. Hit me. So um I think that everyone probably remembers that we've talked a lot about the Onion Knight on this podcast. I, I would say that people know that we love the Onion Knight. We love the Onion Knight. Um so I, uh, when last we were speaking about the Onion Knight, we had both been tricked by a tricking trickster who we did not recognize, who was dressed as the Onion Knight and tried to kill us with giants. Yes. And we did slay the giants. Hold on. Did you, have you encountered him again? I've encountered him again. I have not reached this point. This is why I'm not, I'm going, not going to give you any specifics. No, you can do it. Give it to All me. Right. So I was... Some killing some time back home in the Firelink Shrine. Yeah, classic. And I walked up a little squeaky staircase, and I went into a tower, and was looking around in this tower. And when I turned around, the door behind me had closed, and there was that bald fucker staring me down. Is and this in the tower me. behind the Firelink Fire shrine. shrine? I've been in there, and I got all the stuff out of there earlier. Did did he? He didn't show up behind you and slam the door closed, and then I hadn't met you? him yet. I oh. did it. I did it a long time ago. Well, I I don't know how this would work out for you, but he laughed at me, and he's not wearing the armor. I just recognized him because he's a sneaky, tricky trickster. Yes. And um, so he like he was like, well, I guess you're just gonna have to rot in there or something along those lines. He would say that. So I got out. Some clever rolling, a little bit of jumping. You just, dark souls you know, it. I souls it. I got. He means out. he died. I was like. When am I going to see this asshole again? Because I swear to God, when I see him next, oh, I, I will kill him. I cannot wait to slit his throat. I just want, yeah, I wanted to fight him so bad. I want a slow motion cutscene of me just cutting his neck, just slowly drawing a knife across his neck where I have a quick time event where I'm just pounding the X button. And it's just like, uh, do you remember from Resident Evil 4, you have that knife fight of quick time events? Anyways, some avid listeners will remember this uh, because they replay Resident Evil 4 as often as I do. There's a great quick time knife fight sequence in that game. And one of the things that can happen if you succeed uh, is you get to like drive a knife. You're like fighting and you're pounding the A button and like stabbing. And it's awesome. Just keep thinking of that one scene from Saving Private Ryan. Don't think of that. Okay. Never think of that. Anyway. I was basically convinced I was never going to find this guy again. We still don't know whether he killed the Onion Knight to take his armor or not. You we can just find that, that armor, wearing... so I don't. I don't think he was. I don't. Well, think he was... I, I know how you can find the armor. Did he kill the Onion Knight? So, I found him in the Firelink Shrine, 
he's one of the people there oh, who no. you can talk to and purchase things from. Oh, and he sees me no. and he says, oh, I see that you, you made it out alive. And he said, have, you know, you don't want to take it out on me. I've got plenty of wares to share. And he he basically said he said like will you show me mercy? And I said no. And I cut him up. Yeah. Did you kill him? I killed him. Did you get his stuff? I got the Onion Knight's armor. Oh no. We don't have a corpse for the Onion Knight, but things are not looking so hot for him. Things right are now. not looking good for the Onion Knight. So that there is, is this, rough, dude. this, this now a sub quest that I've given myself in this game is to either find the Onion Knight's corpse, his naked corpse, and I would redress him if I could. This motherfucker. I don't know what's going on. There's only one Onion Knight armor. I have it. I, I'm very upset about all this. Um, I could have bought it off the guy, but no, like he had you crossed me too many times. I wonder if you give him the money and then you kill him if you can get the money. I don't know, because I didn't get everything he was carrying, because he had a bunch of stuff for sale, and I only got Man. like a handful of it. I wonder if the way to do it is to clear him out and then murder him. Possibly, but I don't think you get your. I don't think you're gonna get your souls back from. Him. But you'd have all the items. Yeah, I mean, either way, I don't care. Ha- I, he has I to die. The he, the moment. he has to die. He's he's more than a tricky trickster. He is potentially the murderer of our good friend. He has attempted to murder you twice. And he probably killed your friend. Yeah. Like so, the one person I cared about in this video game, he 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 seems to have done away with. All of the evidence points to him killing that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So this was the, these were the this is the best fight I ever fought. It wasn't much of a fight. It really it took like three or four hits and he was down. But that seems that seems right. Yeah. That seems just. I it was it was just. Justice was served. So anyway, and I'm just keeping keep souls. I'm gonna keep an eye out for that onion knight. Hope I can find him. Hope he's okay. Hope you're out there somewhere, buddy. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I so I've been just soulsing. Uh, very very minimal development on that front. But I have noticed something about the bosses in this game, and I do think it's kind of interesting. This game has a real focus on large bosses that you cannot damage extensively. You can kind of hurt them by hitting them anywhere. And then you have to hit a certain weak point, and it does like massive damage to them. They've but got it, the like the glowing red heart. They have like a glowing soft. spot yeah. that then builds up damage as you hit it, and then eventually you break it, and they take an enormous amount of damage. And this game has—I don't remember that being so prevalent in the first Dark Souls. No, neither do I. Um, I don't remember any kind of glowing spots. I presume that you're talking about uh, bracelet skeleton. I'm talking about bra- old, this, old this large, Wolinir. yes, this large skeleton that has bracelets that you break his bracelets and as a lover of jewelry, he is so hurt that he dies. Uh, and uh, then there is also the tree <laughs> where you... <laughs> you plunge your sword into its nutsack enough and eventually it succumbs. <laughs> Breaking bracelets. <laughs> Hitting smacking sacks. Uh man, breaking bracelets would be a decent like TV Breaking parody. Benjamin cover band. No, I was thinking more like breaking bad, but it's like about about a bunch of like craft home jewelers who like That is a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> man, I funnier die, call us. Go. <laughs> uh that's a really good idea. All right. Gold. Yeah. So do you have anything else to report? No, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Oh, I have a question. Um, Before you fight Bracelet Man, did you cut down the bridge, that drawbridge? 
I did not cut down the broad dr- the broadridge. The broadridge. Uh, the broadridge. Broadridge. Uh, I did not cut down the drawbridge. Well, that's I, a shame because if you cut it down, you can then climb down those slats. Oh wow! And you can visit another old friend. Oh, I got to go back. You got to go back. Is it? Is it the weird dude from the Firelink Shrine in the first game? No, mm-hmm. no. Wait, are you talking about like the weird dog, dog the face man, do- dog beast, dog beast? <laughs> no, I wish I haven't seen him yet in this game. I really hope that he he's has in this to be game. in this game. He's he got to be in, to be in this game. Uh, I do like that as you progress through Dark Souls, uh, I, you reach a certain point and all of a sudden all of the things that were previously dogs, like the higher level version of the dog enemy is the dog enemy, but with a human face. <laughs> it's it so just like a high school notebook drawing of a metal album cover. You're like, we are the dogs. <laughs> exceptionally disturbing. So all messed up. Uh, I, really want to just emphasize to anyone who is curious about this video game it is not as hard as the first dark souls i mean you still die but that's just a mechanic of the game it is great and the enemy designs are terrific and if you were turned off by the fact that in dark souls 2 every enemy was a human dude that you smacked a bunch and they died and it sucked this game writes all of those wrongs the enemies are so cool and so messed up I love it. Really, really incredible design. I am. Um, I actually only learned recently that apparently one of the major inspirations for Dark Souls was this um, this manga, or it might be a manga or an anime. It's probably both. Knowing how that stuff works, but it's called Berserk. And I've heard about Berserk. I like did a quick Google image search and like saw some of the creature design, and it is just like astound, like extraordinarily disturbing, but like astounding, sort of like. Um, I don't know. What's it's that Island of Dr. Moreau. It's very good stuff. kind of body horror after yes. the fact. It's just that, that you could make a really terrifying sequence in which somebody turned into one of these monsters because there's always a slight human element to them. Mm-hmm. And then everything has gone the worst possible way. David Cronenberg's Dark Souls. I'd watch it. Oh, yeah. 100%. Somebody should get on that. All right. I guess we can move on from our souls. Our souls seem to be in good shape. So. I'm having a great time with it. All right. So um, I know that we had sort of teased this at the beginning of the episode, listeners, when Bob loudly announced that we had gotten our first reader mail. We've gotten our first reader mail. We actually got several. Um, we are extremely popular. Yes. We're only going to address one because Bob has put in a lot of time and effort this week. To answer one reader's questions, I did the work. He did the work several times over. So I'm going to read. I'm going to read this email right now. It is from Frank. Ah, thank you, Frank, for sending this in. Frank writes in saying, "After listening to your podcast, I was quite puzzled about both Matt and Bob's experiences with MOBA with the MOBA genre. There is such a wide variety of MOBA games: League of Legends, Dota 2, Smite, and Heroes of the Storm." The popularity of the genre has grown tremendously over the years, along with a devoted community. What are your experiences with the games, if any? The games are known to have a learning curve, but are you willing to give them another go? And finally, have you watched a live stream of the game's matches? Frank, thank you for writing in. Uh, I address this by... Well, first, let me say that 
prior to this week, I had never watched a stream of one of these games. I had downloaded Dota 2 and booted up the tutorial and then said no, because it just seems so overwhelming. And I was aware of the fact that people playing these games are notoriously dicks on the internet. Dota 2 is free to play? Yes. Uh, I believe all of those games are free to play. Smite might not be. Okay. I don't actually know. That's just because I don't know. It probably is. So, this week, I spent all of my gaming time playing a game called Heroes of the Storm, which is the Blizzard MOBA. And this, just let me just start by saying, this is a free-to-play game. If you go to the Blizzard site uh, and you download their application launcher, it gives you the option to download all their games. What's really interesting is that all of their games have free-to-play versions. They all have, like, demos. I didn't know that. Even so, Overwatch? Diablo, Overwatch, uh, StarCraft. And you what, can play online. You can. I, I don't know what the conditions of every demo are, but every game has some element where you can get it to start, bare minimum, or it's a free-to-play game, which is really smart. So I, I picked Heroes of the Storm knowing that it was the baby MOBA in, in many people's minds uh this is the most simplistic and easy to hop into version of this genre uh what's true to blizzard what's really neat about the blizzard thing and also super messed up is that each of the games is listed and it will say like diablo dungeon crawler and it says like heroes of the storm moba like it tells you the genre of the thing and basically it's just them being totally upfront and saying we make games, they are exactly of this genre, and we think they are archetypal of the genre. Like, do you want to experience this genre? Blizzard has a game for you, and it's the best version that there is. Um, so, I have played Heroes of the Storm for about 10 hours, probably. Uh, man, having not delved into MOBAs, MOBAs previously, this has been a real learning experience in so many ways. I love that game. I hate that game. That game makes me hate myself. That game makes me love myself. That game is the worst and it is the best. Uh, It is (laughs) a real paradox. I'm going to be honest. I I think that it totally makes sense, having played that game, that some people consider this genre to be the Ur game. And it makes sense that there's sort of this professional community around it and that there are these tournaments with million-dollar prize pools. What do you mean by Ur game? That game is everything you could possibly want from a video game. I think that I've come at video games for a while and thought that the last great sea change was Call of Duty 4. I feel like Call of Duty 4 came out and we all said, oh, every game is going to have this progression system where I pop out of a match or a level and you immediately start to gain levels. You know, you're, you're getting experience and you're gaining levels and you're buying stuff and, and there's constantly that progression. And I thought that that was the last major time that video games advanced because after Call of Duty 4, every single video game started to have that. You're not just saying, are you saying specifically multiplayer games? I'm saying literally every game started to have this sort of progression tree. You started to see kind of this consistent progression across all games. The ARP, it was like... Infinity Ward figured out how to put an RPG in your first-person shooter, and suddenly everybody realized that every game could have that kind of RPG mechanic. Yeah, that very basic gamification of that you... You are leveling. You are leveling. 
I mean, they have it in schools now. And I kind of didn't realize that secretly the last five years of video games have been that again, but the thing was MOBAs. Every game that you play right now has elements of a MOBA in it, uh, and it's really amazing once you start playing them. What are those elements? Could you break so, them down? The, what's the most basic level, and this is where it gets really weird, the MOBA takes that leveling mechanic from Call of Duty 4. You play matches, you come out of them, you level. And then layers that on top of this idea that there are different characters who have different abilities. And it says, okay, in Call of Duty, you could pick different weapons and you're kind of like a class. I'm going to really make that serious. I'm going to say each of those different classes is a character. And then I'm going to start to say, well, the map works on a consistent level. So every single version of this map has some consistent element objective-wise. And the games I'm thinking of here, so, okay, what is Overwatch? Overwatch is a MOBA. It's just yeah. a, it's a first-person I mean, MOBA. Generally, even though it doesn't have the progression trees. What is Titanfall 2? A video game. It's a MOBA. The, the basic multiplayer mode of Titanfall 2 okay, so the is multiplayer. extremely MOBA. So the multiplayer is a MOBA. Consistently, these sorts of elements are infiltrating are, other video games. In that, the, but just the multiplayer of these other video games? It doesn't really play as much into a single-player version. Yeah. But this idea of class-based things, really emphasizing that there are different types of classes and kind of roles that you can play on a battlefield, and that then there are objectives that are secondary to killing things that actually are very reliant on not getting killed. Yeah. That's kind of what a MOBA is, because this game is, you're a, a character, you control them with the mouse, you click around, it's like you're controlling one unit in a uh, real-time strategy game. And you move around the map, and you have abilities, and you deploy those abilities to try and destroy the enemy base. That's the game. Yeah. There are five people on your team. There are five people on the opposing team, and the map always has three lanes and when we say lanes, we mean there are three paths to the opposing team space. And your goal is just to use your abilities to blow up the other team's base. And that's super simple, right? But there's this other secondary layer where there are just enemies on the map that you can kill for experience, mm -hmm. which Titanfall does. Yes, I remember that. Which Overwatch does not do. And so like, there's these sorts of things where things start to infiltrate different parts of other games where you start to go, oh, this game is stealing the idea of there are these creeps on the map and I can kill them and I can gain experience outside of killing other dudes. Which is it's why it's interesting that Overwatch, of all recent shooters, is a Blizzard game, started as a MOBA. Started as a MMO. Started, oh, okay. as, started Titan, as an MMO. As Titan, it was okay. called. I, think. I mean, but then it has sort of like eschewed some of these elements in order to streamline. So what they pull is that you pick different characters and this yeah, idea which of is a having great idea. different characters who have specific abilities. This so game is the insane. The there characters are, are the systems and the systems overlap yes. based on the systems that you introduce to the game by choosing a character. Cause if I pick a character, you can't pick the character. Yeah. And that's where it starts to get really crazy is that there can only be one instance of a character in any single match. Well, also, I mean, it's interesting because it would be kind of like if you took Zelda and you only you were only allowed to use certain. If at the beginning you, you of the chose, game you, you said, chose, I'm going to yeah. be bow and arrow link. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you, you are isolating out 
other systems by introducing certain systems. And then you say, well, it's a good thing, though, because I get to play with my friend and they are sword link. Yes. And then you're Which actually sounds like a lot of fun. That actually is a great video game. Yeah. And this is where you start to realize that the ideas of MOBAs can filter into any other video game and start to become very good. And MOBAs are a uniquely internet-based phenomenon because they are so reliant on individual characters having enormous skill gaps. And so uh, this is the sort of stuff I didn't realize before. Mm -hmm. But you realize that, oh, this is a uniquely multiplayer game. A lot of other games that we've had sort of take the idea of, well, you're playing a single-player game and you're shooting people and they're fake AI people. Well, what if I just made all those people real people? Like, that'd be fun. And suddenly you have a multiplayer game. But that game is not inherently multiplayer. It's still, like, the mechanics are the same. Yeah. This game, in its best form, is played with other people because no single person can do everything. Uh, so I, I played Heroes of the Storm. I don't know about every other MOBA. I came home. I was at work. Every moment of the day, I think about this game. It's really messed up. And I really kind of resent this game uh, because it's so well calibrated to just extract money from you because you start playing it and it's free and then you can buy in-game currency if you want and you can also buy loot boxes and because i wanted the full experience i bought five dollars worth of loot boxes you are committed i just wanted to see what it was like well this you also we have that sweet sweet um advertising money yeah we're making tons of money off of this so it just made yeah. sense but uh i used the loot I got some cool stuff. Uh, it was What'd all cosmetic. Get? I got a. I, I used it to get a dope skin for my favorite character. Her name is Sonia. She is uh, she a was skinless before. She was. Uh, yeah, she was all nerves. Skellington. Uh, she is. She's like a barbarian lady. Um, and oh, so this is Gauntlet. Uh, man, that is actually an incredibly prescient point. I, your eyes just lit up in a funny way when I said that. Uh, so I that will I'll wait for that for that article. It is it is remarkably gauntlet like. Yeah, no, it, I can see that. It's interesting also that just in hearing you describe it, um, the basic loops being clear to me, and especially the idea that you level both from defeating your enemies but also defeating these little AI creatures, I can feel a sort of tingling. Your in team my, levels, Matt. This is the oh, key. I mean, is yeah, I can already feel the the tingling in me that is like, I don't even I've never played a MOBA. I'm not even a big real-time strategy person, but the idea of that gamified like, like leveling is already like got a part of my brain excited. Just well, there's like two it. levels of it because you're leveling your character, and yeah. your character gets new abilities as they level. So your goal is to build experience as quickly as possible, so your character becomes more powerful as a part of your team. But then also, your team is leveling in the aggregate. It is excellent. I can't emphasize enough how much I love it. But man. I I get the same feeling from it that I did when I played EverQuest for like two weeks. It's so good, but I don't ever leave it feeling good. Well, Even I think when I win. Part of it might be, I would assume that part of it is for you, just that there's nothing crunchy about it. It's not a super... There's very crunchy stuff. Oh, is it really? Yes. Even though you're just clicking, clicking your mouse? You're clicking, but you're managing these cooldowns. But then there's also, and apparently Heroes of the Storm is more in this direction than others. There are uh, abilities 
a lot of the abilities are very timing based. Hmm. You press the button, you punch the guy, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it is also, I guess it is just the, the similarity of the loops. And that's my major issue with most multiplayer games is that like, I, if I'm looking for emergent gameplay, the majority of like class based or otherwise shooters are not necessarily going to offer that. I had that with battlefield one. I played a shit ton of battlefield one online and I had a good time most of the time, but like then more often than not, like I was not getting the sort of emergent moments that I was finding in single player games. There's a lot of emergent stuff that happens in this game. There's an element of it though, where it's so big that I have difficulty recognizing it when it's happening. Hmm. Uh, because I, to gain the depth of knowledge where I would go, oh, they did this, and that was weird. That was unexpected. Would require me to know so much more than I do because I don't have any expectations. The best moments of it come when I walk into a situation I go, I've played against that hero before. Mm. But there are 70 heroes. And so having played it for as long as I have, it's impossible for me to walk into every situation and go, ah, I've seen that guy before. I know what that guy can do. All right. And so there is the possibility, and this is what is happening to people who are really into these and watch like, all the things and love it as much as they do. They know all the characters and they go, that's a really weird way to play this person. I would never think to play this person that way. Or that's a weird so way to play this character in a, tandem with this other character. There's a depth to the meta game. Clearly. It's incredible. Yeah, I but is maybe it's the, that the core gameplay loop doesn't have that same depth. It does. Okay. I mean, playing. It I'm is. Try, so I'm trying much to figure fun. out why it leaves you empty. If I had friends who were playing this game, and I had enough friends where we were just always on there, and this is what we were doing, and we got better every week, and I always had that kind of love hate relationship that you get with people on a team that you're really committed to, where you think, man, Brad always leaves us open to this. And that sucks, but man, I know he's going to do it. So now we're in it together and I always leave us open to this and I know I'm bad at that. This, uh, I mean, it reminds me, well, first of all, it reminds me of how I used to feel when I was like nine and would go to the arcade to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm. the Konami side scroller. I just really wanted like to have three other people to play with me. But it also reminds me what the way that people talk about Destiny Yes. Which I assume is pulled a lot from MOBAs. I think, I think it does. Yeah, it pulls a lot I, from MMOs, and MOBAs pull a lot from MMOs. And it's, yeah. it's this weird... Sounds pretty incestuous. Well, it's, it's very much that we have entered the age where games are online, mm -hmm. and MOBAs are the greatest manifestation of what happens when I say, I'm going to make a game that is wholly online. And, and that's really it, is that we started out and everybody said, I'm going to make games that are wholly online, and they're going to be MMOs, and they're these huge things that are this enormous world. And what people actually want is something very contained but which has the multiplayer element which well has a multiplayer element and a sweet sweet hook that does not let you go exactly so i love it i hate it i'm gonna play more of it god why am i gonna play more right. of it uh and eventually i there's this thing in the back of my mind where i think should i graduate to dota and that's where that was, it gets that was dangerous. my question is that you have the magic the gathering starter set when do you when do you move on up I'm not sure, but I probably will. Matt, what have you been playing? Uh, not any MOBAs. Sorry, Frank. Um, I have been playing the exact opposite of a MOBA, 
Uh, obviously, I was playing Dark Souls. <laughs> Actually, I've been playing some Splatoon 2, with that, which that game continues to be great, but I don't Terrific. really even know what we need to say on it other than that if you own a Switch, you should buy Splatoon 2. If you own a Switch and don't have Splatoon 2, I wonder about you. Yeah. I mean, I wonder about you anyway, but that's because I'm a curious person. Who are you, listener? Tell us more. Uh, write write us. <laughs> that's uh, zero stars. Nope, that's <laughs> podcast at zero stars dot co. C-O. Ask us any questions and Bob will t- spend 10 hours of his life trying to answer it. Uh, I have, uh, so Splatoon 2, and then I picked up the um, the new Uncharted DLC that is essentially just its own game. Yeah, standalone DLC yeah, thing. It's called $40. Un- yeah, Uncharted The Lost Legacy. Uh, it's a, a sort of like standalone side adventure uh, using the Uncharted 4 engine and those beautiful beautiful looking graphics i've heard that it looks incredible i i we'll, we'll talk about that um in any case it's uh it's another adventure this time starring uh chloe frazier who is a, i've never played uncharted 2 but apparently a fan favorite uh from that era the amy hennig era of of uncharted um and she makes she's the the main character she's the player character and then the character of nadine from uh from Uncharted 4, who is sort of a wasted co-antagonist. Because she drinks a lot? Very, yeah. She's just always drinking, and they're just like, you are wasted. Wasted. You are no good to us or the story. Exit right before the finale and never show up again. And she says, I'll stone myself out. (laughs) And then... Uh, I mean, the first, I think the first and most interesting point to be made about this is that this is a major release from one of the biggest, like, video game developers of, like, the past 10 years, starring two women of color. Um, Rad. Kind of, like, also, like, but kind of rad, but then, I mean, it's obviously very rad, but I'm also just, like, somehow, how how did this happen and it's not a bigger deal? I think it's awesome that it's not a big deal. I think it's awesome that it's happening and I, I hope that we have more situations like this. I kind of wish it were a bigger deal. I'll give you that. I kind of wish that like we had a bunch of headlines that were just like pointing this out because this is this is actually unprecedented. Yeah. Um, it's uncharted territory, so to speak. Uh, all the same, I actually have nothing more to say on it, which is probably the best way that this could be a situation is that like there is nothing more to say on it other than the fact that it's awesome that this is actually happening. Cool. Yeah. Um, but I am like, I'm consistently shocked just actually at how, like, I thought that I was going to find this like very tired and old because the systems of Uncharted games have essentially not changed since the very first ones. And I think that in many ways, The Last of Us improved on those systems because The Last of Us has brutal, amazing gunplay. (laughs) Um, agreed wholeheartedly. It's, it's heavy. The Last of Us is heavy. It is it is Resident Evil Four, but the weight knob is oh, just God, turned up to eleven. Up. Joel weighs four hundred pounds. Yes, it's um, just like what if Leon S. Kennedy was made of rocks? <laughs> uh, anyway, I've been charmed by this one because I it was also kind of like finding the character of Nathan Drake from the previous Uncharted games to be a little grating after a while, and Chloe Fraser is a refreshing update in part just because like it's interesting to see a whole new set of animations and not just like new next gen iterations on nathan drake's animations was was she uh the main character in the show frazier she was oh okay yeah, see I i've think. never watched that and and so it's interesting to know that she's had such a great career after cheers it's moved on real fast 
cool. I like to think of her as the boss. <laughs> I don't get that joke. It's a reference to the Kelsey Grammer show, Boss. Have you watched that show? No. Has nope. anybody watched that no show? No one watched that <laughs> show, except for, I assume, Kelsey Grammer, but maybe not even him. Do, we could go... Do you know the story about Kelsey Grammer's sister? For another time. It's really upsetting. If you guys ever want to have your day ruined and then also feel kind of bad for Kelsey Grammer, who is not exactly a good dude. Bad dude. Bad dude. The game Bad Dudes, based on Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> the game Uncharted, The Lost Legacy, based on the character Kelsey Grammer played, named Frazier. Actually, interesting side story. Uh, Far Cry 2, there was originally a mode in which you played as Kelsey Grammer and or could pet Kelsey Grammer or turn him into a gunskin. I cannot confirm or deny the existence of this mode in Far Cry 2. In any case, um, back to Uncharted, The Lost Legacy. Uh, (laughs) The first thing I want to say is that the day one patch was 860 megs. It downloaded in three minutes. This is the fastest day one patch I have had since Zelda. Yes, and Zelda was one of those things where you got the sense that Nintendo was apologetically patching, patching game. anything at all. I mean, I just like it was amazing. I just like put the the disc in, and I usually just like set that, and then I go make dinner, and then I fall asleep, and then I come back the next day, and it's usually <laughs> installed. It was done immediately, and I just like started playing the game. I was like, I'm not even ready to play this right now. Yeah, the, actually, the Blizzard downloader for Heroes of the Storm. That thing, it's one of those situations where the thing is scrolling across and it hits a point that's playable, you oh, know? Oh, yeah. Ideal. But it maxes out your connection. That thing downloaded so fast. Very impressive. And especially given what a kind of mess the PlayStation and Xbox can be. Truly. Yeah. So, so what's this game? Uh, in this game, you play as Chloe Frazier, your friend Nadine, who's really just a hired gun. She's not actually your friend. There's a lot of bickering. You go, you look for treasure. There's a bad guy who wants the treasure too. You kill hundreds of his henchmen, thousands probably. I'm sure eventually we'll kill him. I've only been in one gunfight. Um, in a very matte way, I decided to crank the difficulty up all the way. That is a big mistake. Matt likes to play games on the hard difficulties, despite the fact that the developer clearly did not intend that. I mean, my favorite mode in any game ever is The Last of Us the grounded mode where you have to count the bullets left in your chamber. Yeah. Lest, lest you be left in a situation when you need to shoot somebody and you can't. And they're coming at you and your heart is pounding and the adrenaline is high. I appreciate this conceptually, but also, no. Nah. I had to drop it down one level after the, the first encounter because I was like getting so close. In The Last of Us or in this? In this. Yeah. No, I never. I beat The Last of Us on Grounded. It took me a long time, but I beat it. Um, this is a... Uh, the the shootings... I think the shooting's fine in these games. I don't think it's great. It's not The Last of Us. It doesn't have the heaviness of The Last of Us. That's cool. A lot of people also complain about the climbing mechanics and that it's too magnetic and that you're always kind of being pulled into it. I'm also okay with that because it is such a familiar sort of friction at this point that I find it sort of comforting and satisfying. Um I think that it's better probably and I'm glad that this game isn't like 18 hours long because I think that it would outstay its welcome and it becomes old pretty fast. But Yeah, I've heard this is about nine hours. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I wanted to talk briefly though on just like the basic graphical fidelity of these games because they are incredibly um, 
obviously like these whatever Naughty Dog does with the with the PlayStation technology is always phenomenal. I the one of the first characters that you're introduced to in the game um is a child. And I have always been very wary of like animated children. They are the most terrifying mannequins that exist. It's I mean because they immediately look like dolls because that's our kind of like corollary for this. Yeah, it's so, super weird. I've I don't even think Pixar does them particularly well unless if they're super deformed. Yes, they do their best work when they are deformed. Yeah. So I was blown away at how well this kid was animated. It's like an eight year old girl and it just it looks like an eight year old, but like not in an uncanny valley way and not in like a too photorealistic way. It is just like you were aware that you were looking at like a depiction of a human being made in a video game but it is just like on point that's awesome it's i was i was i was really impressed um good for them other things that are just like like i mean beyond just the fidelity there's this part where you're like early on where you're, you're wandering in these slums in india and uh you're just like you know it's it's really just like a walking simulator at that point and there's this one little corner that I went in. It was a, just a dead end, but there was um, a window and it was lighted inside. And this is like kind of in a war zone. So it's being lit by uh, was a tiny stove that this couple was cooking on on the floor. Mm. And you can watch them and they go about like an actual routine. They're like actually like getting up and walking around and engaging with each other and checking on the food. You can just sit there for a while. It's phenomenal. That's so cool. It's so it's so cool. Then there's this moment shortly afterwards where um this guy is speaking and he's got like this bright light, this harsh bright light behind him. Yep. So he speaks and he's not even yelling, but he speaks and you can see they they rendered the spittle <laughs> coming out of his mouth what? and that you can only see because of the lighting behind oh him would enable God. you to see it because it flashes on that. That is so awesome. It's incredible. And it's just like these small things that these are not about. It's not about fidelity. It's not like that's so fucking realistic. It's that, that, that they bothered to notice. Right. And it's that level of like of like attentiveness. Well, and, and, and that's such a funny thing, because when you look at those Naughty Dog games, they aspire to reality. Yes. And they are very good at achieving it. And what's interesting is I feel like the only other companies whose graphics consistently just blow my mind is Nintendo. And Nintendo doesn't do that at all. Nintendo is trying to make some weird fantastical world. But what Nintendo is really good at is noticing the parts of the real world that you actually care about. Yeah. So, you know, even in the Wind Waker, it was like, oh, Link gets in the water and now his feet are wet. But like the rest of him isn't because like you care about that. Like that's a thing you notice. They knew that we all freaked out about Majora's Mask. And when you go into the water, you leave footprints afterwards. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. Like they they recognize the 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 parts that matter. Yes. And what's neat about Naughty Dog, and I feel like what a lot of companies that attempt to do realistic things miss, is that Naughty Dog both does realistic things, but also only cares about the parts that make the realistic things look right. Exactly. And that's so cool. It's it's a it's a deeply impressive game. I am um like I, I don't know. I'm just having a good time with it so far. Um, I think that's really all I had to to add about this game. Awesome. Check it out. Maybe. Yeah, you're gonna get. You're gonna learn more later. I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about it more. One thing I would add is that I keep trying to climb things that I can't climb. That is a problem. Thanks, Zelda. That is kind of Zelda in a nutshell. Is I then played other games and could not climb everything. This game sucks. Yeah. I yeah. I've had that reaction a few times. Yeah. All right. Um, let's wrap up with our favorite segment. 
because we don't have to talk about video games in it. It's These are a we, few of our favorite things. We actually don't talk about video games. So, Bob, what was it that you encountered this this week that was special to you? Um, so this one, uh, I always talk about music. I'm talking about music again. And it's a album by the band Brand New. They're an emo band from the early 2000s. And they are an emo band in name only because they haven't really been an emo band since, I would say, 2006. Uh, and, man... I feel so much like people are going to overlook this record. People who like Brand New are going to love this record. And people who don't like Brand New because they think that they're dumb emo music will never listen to this record. And those people should listen to previous works by Brand New. Um, this is Brand New's first record. It's called Science Fiction. And they just released it. This is the first record in seven years, eight years. Um, their previous two records, uh, which came out in 2006 and 2009 are similarly impressive. Um, the 2009 one is extremely weird and out there. But this record's called Science Fiction. If you have no experience with Brand New, you should just go listen to this record if you like rock music. Um, and by rock music, I mean like Radiohead uh, in the time when Radiohead played guitars. <laughs> this record is awesome. The I have so many thoughts about it and I think it's so cool and the the cover image I just stare at it and I love it. It's a beautiful cover image. I'm really into that. Well, Brand New also on a couple of their records has done this. This record and another record uh has done this thing where their their cover is just a picture. It's just a photograph. Uh and my understanding is that their front person is very into photos. Uh into photography rather. Um and so I wonder if he took it. I don't know. It's uh, their front person is Annie Leibovitz. This record, though, is a collection of rock and roll songs that harkens back to 90s rock and roll, uh, that kind of grunge stuff, but also just generally, this is guitar music that is smart and intelligent and doesn't feel old, but also feels like it understands where guitar music came from. Guitars are kind of dead in popular music. I've come to accept this as a person who plays the guitar. And uh, that's okay. The Is it like mandolins are in? or There are mandolins on this record, actually. Oh, really? Uh, oh, I think I encountered that. They're actually. really my cool. Brief, they're brief, actually my pretty listeners. awesome. Yeah. Uh, but they, they learned from Mumford and Sons, I guess. They learned from everybody on this record. It's so good. And if you just like excellent songcraft, and if you like the sound of a guitar which I feel like if you listen to the radio, you don't get a lot of guitar these days. Um, this is a great rock and roll record and it makes me really happy. Um, and it's also extremely sad because a lot of the lyrics are extremely dark, but uh, listen to it. You probably think brand new is just a punk pop emo band. Fuck that noise. Listen to this record. It is great. It's called science fiction and it's really good. Cool. Matt, what did you encounter? Um, so I really, I, last, last Saturday, um, I spent all Saturday reading a 300 page book that I could not put down. What book? Uh, I'm unfortunately about to probably ruin the, the pronunciation of this author's name, but it's a, she's a Chicago author. Her name is Jack, J-A-C, Jemk, J-E-M-C. And the book is called The Grip of It. It's, um... It's a haunted house novel. The grip of it. The grip of it. It's a haunted house novel. I am a sucker for a haunted house novel. 
And it's about uh, a couple who move into this house where something is wonky. Um, in typical fashion, there are like actual weird things about the house. Like it has all this extra storage space. It's like in these random like closets within closets, things like that. That's a great setup. Oh yeah, it's it's. This is like this is the. I mean, one of my favorite novels of all time is The Haunting of Hill House. I and The Little Stranger, um, a novel by Sarah Waters, is another favorite haunted house novel of mine. It's a haunted house novel. It's also equally as all good ghost stories are. It's equally about um, relationships. This one between a husband and wife. You like if you like scary books, you like creepy books. Man, go out read it. It's fantastic. It has like a really interesting cover. It's just like a good haunted house story. It's almost October. It's not. It's not. But I wish it were. I love Halloween. I just love the fall, so I'm excited that love we're the getting fall. to it. Love the autumn. Uh, so if you're looking for a good book this September, maybe for Labor Day weekend, like you will crank through this thing. Beautiful prose, just like super engaging characters. Uh, yeah, I literally read it. I could not stop reading it. Was just like enthralled. That's awesome. I'll look into that. Listen to that record, read that book, and have a great weekend. Bye, guys. Also, right. And oh wait, us. yeah, write us please at podcast at zero stars dot co. That is a C O. We couldn't afford the M. Thanks so much for listening. Uh and we'll see you next week. Bye.